was supposed to be the protocol. We were in a race against the Nazis. So now the race is against the Soviets. Not unless we start it. Robert, they just fired the starting gun. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I don't know if you guys can tell out there, I'm like, I'm smiling. I'm smiling as I do this intro because today we get to talk about a new Christopher Nolan movie. We are going to review Oppenheimer after this crazy cinematic weekend, which I can't wait to talk about too, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, There's so much to get to, actually. Um, So uh, let me just say, okay, first off. Jeremy Fisk, Lee Carlo, Chapin Hemingway. You know us. Formalities. Let's move on. Yeah, formalities. Um, I feel like I'm going to need your help a little bit on this one, guys. Um, guys have hosted a podcast in ages, and now he needs our help. Uh, no, it's not about the hosting. It's about me still digesting this movie. I'm hoping you guys can be like a, a, a bit of my Sherpas and guide me and tell me how exactly i i felt about that this movie because i am still processing it i think back to like dunkirk after i saw that the first time and really needing a second viewing of that to to get my thoughts in order but hopefully we can hash it out here um now obviously this is a highly anticipated movie for us so i'm kind of curious what your history with this um, particular event is, and also how much did you try to find out about the movie, find out about the historical significance, or did you really try to go in, go into this um, not knowing uh, as much as you could? Yeah, I wanted this to be my my formal education on on J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, <laughs> I I didn't know a lot about. Honestly, like my my um, my knowledge of the Hiroshima bomb came from Quint, right? Um, <laughs> and I I just downloaded the book that this movie is based on, so I can listen to it because I'm I am curious to mm-hmm. to learn more. Um, this is definitely a period in time that fascinates me, um, but. Like I try, like with a lot of really all of Nolan's movies, I I didn't want to know much. I think the trailers are enough, um, and this dates back pretty far, probably to Inception. Like I don't want to know anything. I there were some people when I was playing hockey, they were talking about Barbenheimer the weekend, and some people had seen Barbie, some people had seen Oppenheimer, and I almost got up and left the locker room because I'm like I I just don't say anything, please, yeah. um, because I was seeing it the next day which then turned out to be the next day. Something else we'll talk about a little later. Right. And, and it's interesting with Nolan and trailers is like, he, it's hot. 
trail his trailers don't really spoil his movies. They're usually too complex for us for <laughs> yeah. people to understand within the trailer. So it, you you feel safe watching it. Um, and I was the same way, Lee. I I really wanted this to be my first uh, first experience of of Oppenheimer as a person and as um, Chapin. I remember. A, I think it was Interstellar, where you like deep dove before it came out and like yeah. knew everything and you yes. are the one that is more prone to do that yeah so so what was your experience shape in going um, into this i mean i you know i'm a student of history unlike you guys so i obviously <laughs> know who uh, robert oppenheimer is and i was familiar with his um i think he's most famous for at least sort of to this generation with uh, for his uh, quote of the Bhagavad Gita: "The uh, I have become death, destroyer of worlds," which is such an awesome line. Um, and yeah, I knew we, him as. I wish we could all say that about ourselves. Yeah, I knew him as the guy who you know kind of um, was sort of vaguely responsible for the man most responsible for the atomic bomb. But no, and and I'm sure I had read on a Wikipedia page once about his I knew he was like you know grew up kind of privileged and had money and I knew actually knew about the Apple incident um, hmm. and that you know he kind of had some mental health problems but yeah I mean I didn't know to the extent that this movie yeah I mean I let's just for argument's sake that I went as in as as, um, as sort of straight as you you Philistines um, okay well that being said um, how are you guys feeling now that you saw it? And I guess what I'm well, trying Jeremy, to... I'm, well, I, I'm more curious about where you're, where you're sitting right now um, and, and why you're sort of waffling. Because I, I don't really know how one could waffle about this movie. Because... All right, and let's just say... I'm assuming we're, this is well, going to be a big spoiler edition, right? Yes. Yeah, they dropped a bomb on, on Hiroshima in 1945. You know what I mean. Um, I guess my, my issue with this movie or what I'm wrestling with was I'm not quite sure what it ultimately is about, Mm. what Nolan as a filmmaker was trying to say here. Um, you know, it's, it's such a, a crazy ride, especially for the first two thirds of this movie that when it takes time to breathe in the the final third i started wondering i i started asking myself that that very question well it doesn't even take time to breathe in the third act it's more like or in some ways it becomes about something else um, right which is not totally random. like it's all there throughout the movie because like all nolan movies this is running a few different timelines um but this isn't this isn't like you know all his other movies that warp time i mean there is different timelines there is this sort of memento black and white versus the uh current time timeline three timelines yeah um but it's not like it's trying to manipulate and get it's just it's it's only kind of used as a reference and a guide to know where you are in in the story. It's not trying to do 
anything extra clever with time. It's like regular flashbacks almost. I mean, the question that I had, which is a little bit of a cousin to what you're talking about, Jeremy, is was this story the best use of Nolan's skill sets? Um, yes, I think so. Uh, okay, well, let so, me... Let so me... To me to me, Jeremy, to answer your question, if I, I the quote that I came out um, of this movie, sort of, if you had to summarize it very quickly, uh, was from the great uh, Ian Malcolm uh, from Jurassic Park when he said, "You were so obsessed with that that you could, you didn't stop ask and if ask you if you yeah. should." Um, and I think, and I've listened to the Big Pictures podcast on this a little bit, and they've helped to codify my feelings a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, uh, this movie is about, you know, genius and how it works. And I think a little bit about the sort of the bureaucracy of the way we kind of live our lives, especially if one works in the military or in the government, which is, you know, you've, you, you come up with, you know, you race to, invent something that doesn't exist and um, you create it and then you lose control of it and you no longer um, are able, you know, you, you aren't responsible for what happens to it and the morality of that. Another thing I think this movie is also saying is, you know, in, in that time period, in those sort of six or seven years between sort of 1939 and 1946, if you go back and you look at like, how many B-27s we built in that period, it's incredible. Like tens of thousands of bombers, just one bomber, like 50,000 bombers. We haven't built things like that since. We haven't built things at that pace. We haven't built things of that quality. We've just, we've never been able to innovate as quickly as they did back then. And I think the feat is so admirable and of, but of course at the same time um you know there's huge consequences to that and i think at the end of the movie and i'd be curious to see what you guys think about this but i think at the end of the movie oppenheimer regrets inventing it and he has that great sort of i think it's a, I, I would say like sort of ostensibly it's a little ham-fisted nolan nolanism of like what what was said between I, uh, Einstein and, and Oppenheimer um, as Strauss was looking on, but um, I think he left. He sort of his belief was that they should never have made it and that they destroyed the world, but maybe not right away. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very. I, I think definitely Nolan is trying to get say something about genius for sure. I think that's what he's going for. But where I kind of have an issue with it is it's about it all of a sudden becomes about oh them not understand people not understanding his genius or not accepting it after it after it's been done but it's really not about humanity not accepting it. it's about this one character that seems to all of a sudden want to have a vendetta against Oppenheimer that doesn't seem that clear because Oppenheimer like slighted him once quickly in some some sort of courtroom situation and 
that was the part that I was like, okay, why are we pivoting from this amazing procedural uh, on how the uh, how these these men, like you said, Chapin, were so innovative and so quick and were able to to invent something um, that the world couldn't even quite imagine at the time. And then it becomes sort of a more of a petty like, uh, you know, oh, I'm not accepted as a genius with a little bit of regret thrown in in there. And I'm just I guess what I'm wrestling with is what what is it exactly like there's what is it exactly Nolan is trying to say with this? Because it is such an important time in human history and such a, a very clear moral dilemma that he's presenting humanity with. I mean, it's maybe the, the greatest, uh, you know, moral dilemma we've ever faced. And I just, um, I kind of wanted, I guess I, I needed that through line to continue. So I think this movie has a perspective. I think Nolan has a perspective and has an opinion on Oppenheimer and everything that took place in the context of this movie. The reason I asked the question that I asked about whether or not this movie is best for Nolan's skill sets is because it's a very talky movie. And there is, you know, obviously a very Nolan-esque scene when we see the test of the atomic bomb. Um, And, you know, seeing that in IMAX, though every time, Jeremy, I go to that AMC IMAX, I realize how little of an IMAX it actually is. I mean, the screen's sort of bent a little bit. It's not even tall. It's just like a regular screen. But um, later on, we'll talk about my experience trying to see this in 70 millimeter IMAX. But this is a very talky movie. And I and I wondered at times why such a large canvas was necessary for a bunch of physicists having conversations at Berkeley. And I don't know that Nolan is the screenwriter to successfully execute all the information he wanted to get across in this movie. And I found it, I found the information fascinating. I was often struggling with Nolan's issues laying dialogue over music. Um, I don't know if you guys had the same issues with that, but I don't. Definitely hard to hear at some points, yeah. But this this either didn't feel like a Nolan movie or it felt like a Nolan movie that could have used a screenwriter. And that isn't to say it was a bad script. In fact, I think it's probably a good script. And I've never been so eager to watch a Nolan movie at home with the subtitles on as I have been with this one because I think there's just going to be so much like fascinating information that I, I either missed or couldn't keep up with. But I'm wondering if like a screenwriter or a, a second eye could have made this movie a little bit more efficient because it moves so fast and I'm just going to try to avoid at all costs to call it what you guys know I want to call it. But it, it's fine. You can, you, you can call it's, it. But this is the thing. It, it is f- more focused than the biopics that I hate. You know, the birth to death biopics. It focuses on something. It does fall victim to some of the biopic tropes, which is that it has so much information that it wants to get across and it moves through through it so quickly, 
it's hard to just know what this movie is trying to say, which is what Jeremy's point is. Like, what is this movie really about? Is it about morality? Is it about loyalty? Is it about patriotism? Is it like all those things are there, but what is it really trying to say? Well, let me tell And again, this is why I want to see it again, because this is the Christopher Nolan aspect of my expectations going into it that it, it didn't quite live up to those, not in any wrong way. It's just when I went into this movie, I'm I'm thinking with Nolan, it's going to be more about the suspense tied in with the regret. I thought that's really where this movie was going to go. And it doesn't really, there's definitely parts of that, but the suspense isn't there in the, oh my God, we could blow up the world or what are we doing aspect. The suspense is like more, can we get this done in time? And then there's this slight bit of regret after. And I really, well, just let me just finish. Like the one, like if I had to point to a feeling or a mood or a tone that I I could kind of point to, and I know the the comparison, uh, you know, why I thought of it, but it really like Chernobyl would be a good example of mm-hmm. a show where every you know the the idea of what's going to happen next what's happening to these people and you know but on the opposite end of it where the people were the ones who committed committed the explosion so there's three timelines running in this movie but there's essentially two storylines there's there's the creation of the atomic bomb um, and then there's the aftermath in which Robert Oppenheimer becomes um, somewhat of a um, voice against the progress of nuclear energy the hydrogen bomb and so on and so forth and there's a hearing to take away that to try to take away his security clearance and I think what Nolan was going after there is is based on the fact that there isn't a lot of suspense or even stakes in the building of the atomic bomb because that everybody knows what happened. And granted, what happened was horrific and hundreds of thousands of people died and the future of that science is very very dangerous but it's not suspenseful because we know that so the suspense has to be in this the other storyline what is going to happen to Oppenheimer and where I struggled there is that that's less interesting to me yeah, especially you when really it comes care to, if he lost his security clearance after well, the job's been done I didn't in a Nolan movie because I don't think that's where Nolan's strengths lie. I mean, I think you can find some like clear parallels in in this movie and in Dunkirk in terms of like the historic relevance and how important these things are to the countries that those movies take place in. But the movies are so different. D- Dunkirk is like a silent movie, whereas this is like all talking and all revealing information. And on the surface, if you were to tell me one of this and one of that, I would take Oppenheimer every day of the week because, like, 
I'm fascinated by this time period and this type, this the information that is being revealed here. But I don't think that is Nolan's strength. His strength is filmmaking and visuals and and like building suspense to like a big climactic moment. The big climactic moment happens and there's still an hour left in this movie, which is also not a problem. But again, I'm like, this is interesting stuff, but this is not the right person to be doing it. But it could be like you look at Dunkirk. He does it so well there. He does it perfectly. The suspense. I mean, right. But that's take not away the to- talking aspect of There's it. There's so still much telling less a- information that you has to be given to us in that movie. That's very simple. There's these people on the beach that need to get off of it. That's the information we need to know in that movie. In this, we need to know so much. But we need to we understand need to know, physics. Do, we need to know theoretical we physics. We don't need to understand it. I think it is. I think it helps if you do. And they try to. They do it in so many ways with like, you know, visual things with putting the marbles in the in the in the um, fish bowls and like all these different ways they try to re- give us this information to help us understand it as layman. And and in the first two hours, it kind of works, though. It is, I mean, it's it's so fun to, like, go through that journey and and learn all this and be, be presented with all this information in the way that Nolan does it, the quick edits, the score. The editing it, is really good. Well, it, we can, like, I know it sounds like at least for me that it's that I had issues with this and I did I definitely did but I'm still really genuinely wrestling through what they were and why they were and I think that's what this conversation has been thus far but once we can kind of get through that I do really want to talk about the stuff that was that really worked Lee I I guess I'm a little I'm struggling to sort of understand your point of view because I feel like we we come on here and you say you say biopic and we drink and whatever but like you you hate these formulaic biopics and then a movie like this comes along which i think is a biopic it's called oppenheimer um and it does it in what i would call an innovative way it doesn't do it in a linear way that you hate the, the stuff that you hate and it doesn't it does it in a way that i think you really understand this man this man who Nolan calls the most important person who ever lived. Uh, and I think you just, you leave the movie just having gone through this, you know, the latter part of his life without seeing, you know, his parents growing up. And like, I mean, I think you, I think this delivers on the, on the complaint that you often make. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort I'm, of, that's what I said before. I think this is much more focused than the biopics I hate. And I think that's what works about it. But at the same time, within that focused point of view, it is still in this three hours is not enough time to give us the information that this movie wants to give us. Think about how fast and how much information is delivered in those first two hours. Like it is scene after scene after scene after scene. It, it the pacing is so fast. And but I think it's good. I my problem is just in that last hour, like you said, after the two hours are up and the the climax it, happens, it slows it's, down into. It's something not else. about the slowing down. It's about the <sighs> suspense. It's about the suspense of what is going to happen or what's going to happen to this character and. Really, it's 
it doesn't matter. We've already changed, like, the world's already been changed. Right. I, I agree. But that's a separate point that I think Chapin is asking me. Like, I'm okay with this in the biopic genre. Like, this is in the in the realm of what I'm asking for when you want to make a movie about a real person. You know, we don't we don't see him. To, honestly, what this is most most resembles in terms of a biopic is a beautiful mind. It starts like with his schooling and his education and he grows in the field and he becomes very respected. And then you end with like his colleagues honoring him. And, you know, for my taste, that's still a little too long, but you're still the, the majority of this movie and what this movie is about is focused on one particular thing that this character did. That final hour treads into some other aspects of it and there are other aspects mixed in which is totally fine because that's how you do it you focus on something and you mix in the other aspects of their life like the scene when matt damon hires oppenheimer is so great because it's super expository but it's like hey we need to build this bomb you're the best person to do it but I'm going to give you all the reasons that people have told me that you're not the person to do it. And in that five minutes, we learn so much about Oppenheimer. That's great. That's how it should be written. So I'm fine with that aspect. But my issue with this movie, and I'm so hesitant to call it an issue because it's it's funny that Nolan has become a director that's making movies requiring multiple viewings because didn't seem like that was who he was going to be. But you have a blockbuster filmmaker that's at the film festival saying, all right, guys, run it again. Um, because I know that when I watch this again and when I watch it with subtitles, like all this stuff is going to be there and it's going to feel more fluid and I think it's going to feel more efficient. But on first watch, I was like, God, I am getting inundated with information that I can't keep up with. And Nolan doesn't know how to edit dialogue, the sound, into his movies. And I can't hear it some of the times. And that left me with a little bit of a... See, that's the thing is I was not disappointed by this movie, but I was not blown away by it. Um, all right. Well, I want to get into more specifics. But first, Chapin, is there anything in the general sense of how you felt or well, he you, loved wanna, it. you want to uh, wrestle with. We all know he liked it. I do want to, I do want to push back a little bit on what Lee said about comparing this to a beautiful mind. I mean, only may, maybe just in just, just very, just the stru- very the, broad the structure. Strokes. I mean, not even the structure, the, 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 I mean, it's obvious at the end, like what Einstein tells him, maybe you missed that part. I couldn't hear it, but like that, the congratulatory white house honors were, were not for him. Okay. I'm not comparing this to the story of A Beautiful Mind. I'm comparing it to the the biopic structure, the biopic template, the amount of time that is covered. It is not birth to death, but it is the beginning of schooling to the end of your academia, academic achievements. It has nothing to do with like what those movies are about or what they're trying to say. All right. All right. So Chapin, how overall? I want to. I want to hear. Yeah, I I loved it. I mean, I. This is the movie to beat for me for the fixies. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was, I, and, and, and I, I don't want to like 
piecemeal sort of disagree with everything Lee said, but I kind of like I I, I thought I think Nolan is often uh, very expository and kind of inundates you with you know stuff that a lot of times just feels silly like uh, like oh this is how dreams are made i mean i kind of ate that up at the time or like you know in tenet when he's like this is how entropy works and it's you like you love like, tenet i liked it I, I didn't love it um but i i think like sometimes that stuff is inform- is interesting and then sometimes it's just like oh this is like an exposition dump and but i this stuff in this movie was one real and true and um, was you know not only sort of important in the context of the movie, but important to us as a species. And I thought he did a great job weaving it into the narrative. I thought it was. I mean, there were definitely times when I had trouble hearing things because um, I think I have trouble hearing, and also like um, I don't know that I saw it in a place with the greatest sound. Um, and and there's also Nolan's sound mixing issues. I I would admit you're right there, um, but I think. Much like Dunkirk, this was, yes, a a deeply um, dialogue-driven movie and information-driven movie, but I think what Nolan did here was turn it into a wholly emotional experience, and that's the cloud I was on when I watched it. I was just along for the ride, and it was just propulsive, and as you go through it, even after the bomb, I just like everything just codified together for me and just just merged and melted and worked so fucking well for me. Um, I thought it was. I think it's brilliant. I think it's his best movie. Um, That's insane. Jesus. That's crazy. Um, here's where. Uh, all right. I am fully expecting to for my opinion of this movie to move closer to where you're at the next time I see this and the next time I see this. And I think in that way, it's very similar to my experience with Dunkirk. Um, and even honestly, a lot of his movies now, like Tenet, I rewatched, I watched, rewatched Dunkirk and I rewatched Tenet before I watched, watched this. And Dunkirk is a fucking masterpiece. Tenet is growing on me, but as the movie goes on deeper and deeper, it gets, I am still so confused by it. I think that's where the flaws lie in it. It, it never, it's it's not accessible enough. But what Nolan, what it was being proved to me is that Nolan's movies do require multiple viewings. And I think Oppenheimer is going to grow on me for sure, especially come fixie time. Right now, I would say this this is not going to make a fixie list in terms of the movie. But I'm not saying that definitively because. I'm going to see it again. And I'd like to see it in the theater again, if possible. And I'd, I'm tempted to try to fucking go down to Providence and try to see it in 70 millimeter IMAX again. Although that was a disaster. Um, but what I will say, Chapin, about the emotional aspects of this movie, and this might lead us to where Jeremy wants to take us next. Who do we credit for that? Is it Nolan or is it the acting? Right. I do want to get there, but I kind of want to sum up, and I appreciate your help with this, guys. I think I, – I, too, think I need to, to see it again, but unless I can grasp on to really what the filmmaker was trying to say here, I, I don't see this – I don't see it being one of the all-time greats for Nolan. Um, I think it's a very, very good movie. 
and yes, we'll just get right into it. It is very well acted. Um, let's let's just start with Killian Murphy. What a performance! So I, good. He's so and good, and that's where the emotion his, in this movie comes from. Like, I mean, you could just watch him stare at stuff and be like, "Oh yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's going through some stuff." Um, one thing I I don't know if I feel this way, but I maybe was a little distracted by the sort of cameo star power in this. Um, again, I tried not to know anything about it coming in, and then you get. You know, Casey Affleck. Casey and, Affleck's kind of the only time that it, that bothered me, um, because it was uh, later in the movie. What's his name? Um, Actually, I think I think that was really helpful for the movie. I think you're hmm. you're introduced to all these scientists yeah. who like okay. this is are, are important, yeah. and you don't really get their names. And instead of being like, "Hey, this is this is um, Niels Borg from," and he's a uh, uh, whoever, like you, you put you. Oh, that's Kenneth Branagh. Oh, that's Josh Peck. Oh, that's. Um, I think that's a great uh, point, Josh. Like you, you. Well, no, but th- th- that kid from like the Disney Channel is the guy who actually pushes the button. He's uh, he's. Oh, I don't even know who that is. But you, there's all these like famous faces who you can, um, just you know them, and I think I think no one uses them brilliantly. I think that's a good I, I thought, point. I thought I struggled with... Affleck was great in that scene, though. I mean, I think he was yeah. still really good. Yeah. I mean, there's but there's also like the Rami Malek one. One there's the um, oh my god, I like how they yeah. Um, uh, Gary Oldman as the president. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how I felt about. It. I was just kind of. I was taken aback for a half second every time because I'm like, oh, whoa! I didn't know they were in here. Oh, I didn't know they were in here. But they were all ga- they all gave great performance. Um, I think I, I think Robert Downey Jr. was really good in this. I think I have issues, I guess, with that storyline and that character. But I thought his performance was really good. So and- <clears throat> this is my absolute, with a bullet, 100% favorite performance I've ever seen from Robert Downey Jr. And is great. part of that is because I don't know if I've never liked it or if I've just grown tired of kind of the like iron man charming sort of sarcastic robert downey jr that just like came with the marvel movies and this was like so much more subtle so much more like deep and detailed and nuanced like i thought he was so good in this and again i I had some issues with the storyline too there but i thought i loved him in this movie i thought he was so good I don't know if it's my favorite. I mean, honestly, a Tropic Thunder might be my favorite. I mean, that's Robert yeah, Downey that's great Jr. too. <laughs> Junior performance. Um, but uh, what what do you guys think of Matt Damon in this? I, and so, I thought he was excellent. Also, I mean, we all love Matt Damon. I cannot get over the scene where he says, "This is the biggest thing in the history of yeah, the world." Yeah, like yeah, that is a, just like a bad take just or something. Cut that out of the movie or something. Yeah, but it was. I I, I looked at Sarah. I was like, what, he he makes up for it in there. He makes up for it in his final scene where they ask him, you know, would you approve him? And he's like, No, nah, I wouldn't. But I wouldn't approve that. I'm like, there was some subtlety in the acting, and like, I thought he was great. I mean, to be honest with you, like. I want to talk more about like Benny Safdie and Josh Hartnett and like yeah they were all Kenneth, great Kenneth Branagh like 
what did you guys think of the accents in this movie? How did you feel about those? I didn't find them too distracting. I thought they worked for the most part. Um, what is the story with Josh Hartnett? Why? What happened with his career? Is there a story no there? Because I thought he like took a step back from acting. He, but he must have, because as it turns out, he's a pretty good actor. Um, if you look back through his career. Um, well, let's the, let's talk about the thing we haven't talked about with all these good performances. Well, hold, let's hold talk on. about. Sorry, or, go ahead. Well, David Crumholtz was the it. last one I wanted to. I loved bring up. This. He was so good. Who was he? Uh, he's like. Oh, I see. He plays. He plays. He's like the guy that gives him the orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's like, great. I know him from like the Santa Claus. Ten things yeah. I hate about you. And like comedies and like silly movies and stuff like and he's so good in this he's very empathetic um all right well let's move on to let's move on to the women in this which i think there is some problematic issues with the writing of of women in this and in a nolan movie in general that's been a criticism of nolan and i don't think he's really uh been able to remedy that on this film if if anything i think he's kind of made it worse um i do not think the women characters were very well written i mean i think emily blunt had moments um yeah, she had a good scene at the end but she they, had a good scene they, at the end but they didn't give her anything to justify that scene like as it turns out like kitty oppenheimer was like a pretty smart person and a scientist as well but like there's i think a line in it that says that, but you don't really know it. I think what actually hurt this movie in terms of the women representation is just Florence Pugh's character in general, which I think could have been entirely cut out of this movie. Yeah, there was so, no need. Sort of, other sort, than... of glad it, sort of glad it wasn't. For me. <laughs> I mean, really, what she, the what she served was basically to show him sort of as a womanizer. That was that was really the and only reason. And there's a reason. hint at it... the end that he. Like had an affair with someone else too. Yeah, yeah. yeah they did. just mention it. Yeah, well, the, but like the guy who got like uh, blacklisted and sent yeah. back to wherever he was from. But this stuff his is wife, like his wife. And this is this is Chapin kind of goes back to what I'm my, a little bit of my criticism is that like you are jam packing so much information into this movie. What doesn't need to be there? Yeah, um, is it important I, to this movie that Oppenheimer is a womanizer? I don't think so. I think I think. Uh, I would agree with you guys that I mean the the nudity and the sex scenes were shocking just because, um, you know it does like that it's not really Nolan's thing and I mean I think there's some language that would have got this an R-rated movie anyways if you cut out the sex stuff but um it does feel like I, Nolan but there's so much stuff in this that is like screams PG thirteen like yeah, the visions no, I, I mean, of Hiroshima they, they, and stuff like. They could have made it. They could have made it work if they wanted to. Um, but yeah. I, I think the the stuff with Florence Pugh really helps to connect uh, Oppenheimer emotionally to the sort of communist sympathies that he has, and I think that's a really important, however secondary, uh, part of this movie. And I think. Um, you know, like he, when she kills herself or possibly is like murdered, 
it that begins his understanding that and i excuse the sort of double meaning here that there's a fallout to this process like he can't have this relationship with her anymore and she kills herself and then in some and sort of in like either in some imaginings they want they they think she may be have been murdered for her association with oppenheimer and that there are consequences to this work and he's finding it out and that begins at least narratively that kind of sort of downslope where there's this high of i want to be a part of this project and you would think that this guy who has communist sympathies he's not a communist but like gives to these causes that are fighting against big government and blah 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 you know he might not be the type that wants it but he's his science mind they want they want it, everybody wants to do it everybody wants to be a part of it it's like the biggest thing you can be a part of as a as a theoretical physicist and he jumps on board and it goes full steam and there's no time to stop and think about it and in the sort of third act of the uh alamo the the um los alamos section it starts to dawn on him that this is going to have that this they're going to drop this bomb it's not just going to be used to um threaten people and keep you know, kind of keep people at bay, they're going to actually drop it. They're picking sites. It's starting to become a reality that this weapon that they've invented is going to be unleashed. And sort of more personally to him, people who are close to him are dying because of it. And it's and whether it's the CIA killed her or she killed herself, it's the same reason. It's that he can't associate with her because of who she is. So I think you're right that this movie about why she's there. I think it doesn't entirely work having her there as um, a way to understand Oppenheimer's communist sympathies. I don't I don't think a lot of that stuff works in how the information is relayed about his communist sympathies, whether it's his brother, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, like I don't I think a lot of that stuff is very convoluted. Um, and then I get the idea behind saying, okay, we can't just have Oppenheimer question what's happening here when all these people die when they drop the bomb. Like, that's so obvious. That's not good movie making. So we need something else. So can we do that with Florence Pugh's death? I get the idea. I don't think that works either. Like, I just think that this is a character that's not well fleshed out. Um, and is supposed to be so integral to Oppenheimer's growth that it fails. Like, I think you have two options. Cut that character out entirely or make her a much, much, yeah. much Which bigger I part of this you, movie. I don't think you could cut her out. She, I mean, she's just so important to... Then you have to do such story. a better job. And this, again, goes back to, does Nolan need a screenwriter here? Also, can I ask... Uh, a question why what is it about christopher nolan that just when it comes to is, is so anti-sexual like you, you yeah, hear even the sex scenes you hear he's <laughs> like, doing a sex scene and you're like oh that doesn't seem right there's just like it's like your yeah. parents having sex or something <laughs> like that it's like just don't ugh, that feels weird um so i don't know what that what it is about nolan but yeah um I, I agree. I agree with what you say there, Lee. You, you got to 
and I don't I don't want to use the word flesh out, but uh, you need to bolster up that character or um oh yeah i think that's yeah that's clearly what you had to do Um, i mean to me to me the real miss is the kitty oppenheimer stuff the emily blunt i mean you've got this i don't know do you guys like i mean when they were talking about her on the the big picture they were saying she's like one of the greatest actresses of her generation yeah i heard that too I, I think she's that, very good. I don't know if that's quite true, but I yeah, don't know that I, she's I, done enough movies to test that theory. But let's just say she is a great actress, and I think that that's a complex character, and and I think too often they just sort of cut to her and she had a flask or something, and it was like they, they didn't really address right. her pain very well. And so, yeah, it's tough. Like, like I I don't really get Nolan's things thing with women. It's, but, like... They're obviously not a big part of this story, <laughs> you know. Like, like if <laughs> there's there's sort of that one physicist who is a woman, Olivia Olivia Thurby, right? And she has like three lines, her. and but like yeah, it's like it's um, it's a shame because I think that would have been a really interesting character. Um, um I don't know. Yeah. This is this is a flaw of the biopic formula, guys. Like. You have you have this line when they're building Los Alamos. Say they got to bring their families here. If they don't have their families, we won't get the best out of them. But we don't ever see any of their families. What does that mean? And well, like, you said you we won't get to, the best. Like the the people won't. We won't come get the best people. Right. Yeah. That's what. I, yeah. That's what I meant. And like Emily Blunt's character is her or Kitty Oppenheimer, I should say, is a pretty complex character. Like we can see the the like hints of that but we don't ever get that in the movie because you have to the you have to pick and choose how much you can focus on when you're trying to cover so much and what could have been left out what like i get it like you're telling this story you want to include what you feel like is the most important information but this isn't a textbook it's a movie and if you're going to have critical characters like Kitty Oppenheimer in it, you can't leave them so one-dimensional. You can't just tell us information about them. We need to see that character fleshed out. Or what, what's the term, Jeremy, that we're using instead of fleshed out? Um, <laughs> Forget. So, like, you have to find the balance between the movie you're making and the information you want to reveal. I, I agree with that. I I, agree, I totally agree with that. And I think you guys are both right about the two females. But like, ultimately, I don't care. Like, I mean, it's like it's it's, it's a shame. I wish they had done a better job. But like, this movie had to be three hours. They couldn't make it any longer. And the rest of the movie is so good. I mean, like to me, this is this. I know, like, I know this is going to sound sexist almost, but like, I feel like this is like a nitpick. You know, I mean, it 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 it. It's like, not when you have Emily Blunt with like a huge monologue at the end of the movie, though. I I agree with that, but you know, like, um, you guys haven't seen the right stuff, right? Have you? I have, but it was a really long time ago. I think I, I think the, it, it's sort of a similar arrangement, and um, I remember uh, the the Zoe Deschanel's mother. Um, plays uh john um what's his name 
the the uh, Ed Harris's character, John Glenn's wife, and she has like a stutter and is very shy. And I thought that was handled very, very well. But obviously, it's such a minor thing. And I I, I agree with you guys. And and um, I think may you know I'm hoping that like more of her subtlety and her part is revealed in the rewatch and the second viewing. Um, but yeah, like, like I think if, if like, you know, in a, in a lesser actress's hands, in a lesser filmmaker's hands, you know, they would have, there would have been the scene of him coming home to his wife, the sort of beautiful mind esque scenes. And we would have been like, this is so typical. And, like we've seen this so many times this is doing nothing new and you know i think i think you know he doesn't give the character or the actress their due in this movie but i do think that their interactions are interesting and unique and i think paint a picture and one of my favorite aspects of this movie is paint a picture of what this community is like um in their I first mean, meeting for example when they go horseback riding in new mexico there, there's another way to go here, which I think had they done this, Chapin, I would have been much more on your page where it's like, I kind of don't care. And it's kind of like, don't cast Emily Blunt as Kitty Oppenheimer. Don't give her that monologue at the end, which is not entirely necessary. You know, yeah, don't, don't cast Florence Pugh as, as Jean, what is her last name? Tarlo. Tarlo. Um, like put unrecognizable faces in those roles that don't draw attention to them. And that is in a way better filmmaking because you can't cover all this stuff. And Chapin, you bring up the beautiful mind thing. Like this would have been obnoxious if there was like the relationship stuff that John Nash and um, his wife have in a beautiful mind. If silly, if Oppenheimer and Kitty Oppenheimer have that in this movie, it would have just been like so much, like way too much, right? So on one hand, yeah, I'm saying like, oh, you got to give us more. But if that's what the more is, forget it. I'd rather have way less. Cast some no-name actress that gets her big shot at a you know really small part in a Nolan movie. Yeah, l- l- taking the genders out of it. Um. If you just look at what story you're trying to tell, and if you wanted to try to simplify that story, um, I think you would just kind of cut down those parts. You'd reference them. You'd kind of cut that, down those parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, don't know. I, I think th- like what I was just really impressed with with Nolan here after having you know we studied him, um, and you know I know I'm the biggest Nolan fan and and uh and a and i apologist. i feel apologist sure and, and i feel vindicated Honk. in that uh role on this podcast now um i i think i honestly like and i'm surprised to hear you say it jeremy i think this movie is him saying more than he's ever said in any of his movies before i think this is him going darker than he's ever gone in his movies before okay i think this is him working at his finest and 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 forgetting and 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 letting go of a lot of the sort of hangups that he's had that we've criticized in the past. I think he's overcome so much of this movie. And 
yet held on to the stuff that just makes him such a such a wonderkin and one of a kind filmmaker. And I like I just found that fascinating. I just found like this this is this was this is like everything that I want in a movie. Like it's it's about big ideas, but it's also got this like key interesting flawed protagonist at the at the front of it. And it's about these really important life-changing earth-shattering literally issues. And at the at the core of it is a man wrestling with his morality, his genius. Like this this is what I live for in movies and I just think he pulled this off in a way that I don't think any other filmmaker could. Honestly, I think like every the, like I know you guys weren't a huge fan of Tenet and I but like like you can't deny that every time Nolan releases a movie, it is a special event. And you can't say that about you can't even say that about Martin Scorsese anymore. I don't even think you can say that about David Fincher. Well, and I, I think we like those filmmakers better, but when he comes out with a movie, you know that something is special about that. And he brings that sense of awe and importance to this movie. And I think that he delivers on it a hundred percent. So I have a couple questions. You said that he is saying more than anything he has in any of them. That may be true. But, does but not he clearly. Show, does he show in this movie or does he tell? And that's something we might talk about a little later on with a different movie. Um, but that's a question I, think, I, I have. I think he absolutely shows. I think, I think when, I mean, you know, you've, you've just made my job so easily because you brought up a beautiful mind, but like, I, I, and I get the comparison. It's like sort of similar times and similar, but like you think about, sort of let's let's in let's let's demonstrate this man's complicated mind as a young person and you know you've got in a beautiful mind like the conversations and that he's kind of weird and like he walks around but just Killian Murphy sitting there with those piercing eyes laying in bed frightened and the little (laughs) these like images that you don't really understand but you know like you see the strings of sort of string theory there and like these atoms and all these weird things happening and it's not the like floating equations from a beautiful mind (laughs) it's this like propulsive weird but like also very clear idea of what this is and you see that he's most fascinated by it but also haunted by it and that carries him through the whole movie Okay. Um, well, I, I'd like then, to expand on that if we can, because like that gets into the like music and the cinematography and the editing in this, which I I am very much on Japen's side on this. I I was floored by all that. I mean, it was all the little things. It was like the soundtrack incorporating that little crackling that we've never heard an atom. I've never heard an atom, but. Uh, you know, yeah. that's what you kind of associate with, like, radioactivity and, like, just the fast pace of the editing, especially for those first two hours, giving you all that information and the way it was presented and just, like, trying to use every tool in the toolbox to just, uh, just sort of propel it at the audience. And then, of course, there's uh, the cinematography by Hoyt, what's his name? Hoyt Hoyta. In, uh, Hoyta, Yeah. Um, which is be- absolutely beautiful. Hoyta van Hoytema. Um, 
I, I mean, it's that all that stuff is near perfection in this movie. I agree. I mean, the filmmaking here is is Nolan esque. Like, it's great. And I, I mean, I do wonder, Chapin, how you talk about this movie is like the awe of this movie. Like, and again, that plays a little bit in the part of like, is this the movie for Nolan to tell? Like, there's not the big set pieces that were like the sprawling, you know canvases that we're used to obviously like the Los Alamos site in New Mexico is sprawling and looks cool on a big screen but the explosion even is not what I was expecting in terms of the magnitude of it um, seeing that in the theater but I'm with you the filmmaking is fantastic my my question here is the storytelling which I think is there I think is good I just think it needs another viewing and maybe it's not Nolan's strength when it comes to this movie. Um, all right. Well, we've, we've all sort of said our piece, I think. Um, I do want to talk, you mentioned it, uh, like it, this being an event shape. And, and of course this came out the same weekend as Barbie and like it brought people back to the cinemas. Um, I mean, I know I was flabbergasted by seeing all those people on a, what was it, a Tuesday night. I mean, this, th- that I've never seen that cinema that um, that busy ever. And it was an abs- absolutely full screening that we went to. Uh, again, I can't remember the last time I went to an absolutely full screening of anything. And then I, I saw Barbie today, and that was an absolutely full screening. And just the fact that this is happening is really kind of exciting for anyone who really cares about going to the movie theaters. Um, and surprisingly, Lee, I would say the audience we were with was very respectful. There wasn't, I mean, a lot of people showed up a little bit late other than that. Uh, once oh, everyone got oh. seated. Yeah, um, they were fine. The woman next to me kept fine. kicking my foot, but. just trying um, to play footsies with you. So. My experience seeing Oppenheimer, I ended up seeing <laughs> that it. That poor the, woman just lost yeah. her life simply for kicking yeah. someone's foot. Um, I saw it in the same theater as Jeremy, which is the kind of fake IMAX at the AMC. Um, but my intention was, as people heard on the podcast before, to see it in 70 millimeter IMAX. Um, there were only a handful of theaters in the world that project it that way, which is the really, truly intended way to see this movie. So I drove down with Lydia to Providence, about an hour and a half, two-hour drive, um, and we got into the amazing IMAX theater, and they told us as we got in that there was going to be a 20-minute delay. The projectionist was working on it. So that wasn't great but seemed like everything was going to be okay. 20 minutes go by, and he tells us, I'm sorry, there's going to be another 20-minute delay before we can start the movie, but it will not be shown in 70 millimeter. So immediately, a bunch of people started to leave, and I considered it, and I started weighing my options. I'm like, when else am I going to see it? How am I going to see it? And I kind of just, by the time I decided that we were going to leave, um, it started, and... I was like, okay, let's see how it looks. And I sat down, and it was blurry. It looked kind of like they had, like, the 3D filter on there. And I was like, fuck this. So we left. Um, And we went and saw Barbie. And then, you know, had a nice dinner in Providence and then drove home. So it wasn't a total wash of a night, but I'm still annoyed 
that I didn't get to see it in 70 millimeter IMAX. From what I've heard, the IMAX seems more important to the movie than the 70 millimeter. However, I'm kind of more annoyed I didn't get to see it on film. <laughs> um, but having said all that, Jeremy, mm, yes, yep. I was, despite the fact that I hate seeing a movie with a crowd, I'm really excited at how well these movies are doing. Barbie made $155 million opening weekend. Oppenheimer made 80, which was... 62, 82. Um, that's worldwide, right? Nope. No, 180, no, it was 182 internationally, 155 domestically. No, Barbie made 162, Oppenheimer made 82. Um, okay. Chapin. Well, uh, anyway. Yeah. I'm curious, um, Chapin, what you Oppenheimer thought. made nearly double what it was projected. Um, and I just think that's great, like, for summer movies to be doing this. I don't think it's a sign of things to come by any means. I think the box office is going to drop precipitously after these movies are done. I think you're right. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you are right. And especially since there's not going to be any content moving forward for a while. Uh, it's not going to help. Um, but it is exciting to see. And as you mentioned, uh, Lee, you saw Barbie. I was able to see it today. Uh, we can talk about that. But first, do you guys have any wrap-up thoughts on Oppenheimer? I, well, I just want to, yeah, I, I think it's really fun, these two movies. And I think they, like, 100% contributed to each other's successes. I mean, yep. there was the sense that, like, they were kind of competing with each other. But yeah. I just think, like... They just built sort each of, other up, yeah. Yeah, and, the, and, I mean, I think we're all probably exposed to... Which I think was know, totally unintentional by the... By the studio. Well, I think Warner Brothers wanted to fuck Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely did. But I think eventually the I think the well, I think the Barbie marketing team just did an incredible job with that movie. Um Oppenheimer a little less. So like I was worried that they just like weren't selling it um well, uh the Universal team. But I thought uh, uh but yeah, so it's just, it's a very exciting time for movies and and yeah, I hope we don't think of this as like a last hurrah. Um, and I think you can't. Uh, I, I think the an, uh, an, uh, the Barbie opening is incredible. It's big and it's far more than I ever expected. Um, but I think you really can't. The real winner here is Oppenheimer and how much money it made based on For the kind an R rated movie, movie. Yeah, an R rated three hour biopic. Um, and I think. You know, I I know uh, I've just been giving him a lot of credit, but I think Nolan should be rewarded for um, really believing in the cinematic process. I mean, I I think that this movie is like entirely entirely analog, which if that's true is incredible. Um, and I think he just believes and continues to push that part of filmmaking and it's just it's very exciting i mean every time anytime else i see someone shooting with film i sort of roll my eyes but i think this is really cool what he does and he just it's it's like i mean really it's you're looking at a movie that has been made with all the old toys and um i i think that's really awesome and and it just makes you want to go to the theater for 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 the right reasons i think I will say I was worried that Nolan was starting to like 
quote unquote read his own headlines and like try to build movies around the next big practical effect similar to like what we oh, talked about with Mission Impossible right like just build a movie around my next big stunt and for better or worse that is not at all what Oppenheimer is in fact like the practical effects and stuff is like not even really a big part of this movie like it's all shot practically the explosions are practical but like that's not as important as what he's trying to do here so but okay and I, I wish you guys had loved this movie like I did because I think this question would have been better in that context. And I think, you know, when we drive out to rainy Cape Cod in March to have our fixies, you guys are going to be totally on board with me and we'll be all on the same page. So I'll, I'll look forward to that moment. But I, I, I do think it's interesting to look at his last three movies, right? Like, you know, he's finished up his Dark Knight tr- trilogy he did interstellar which i love and a lot of people have a really like really really love but it's not at all universally acclaimed and then he makes dunkirk which is this incredible unique um sort of standout film um and then he goes back to that kind of silly he's conceived this in his own mind with tenant and arguably doesn't really deliver on the sort of inception-esque kind of silliness of that and then comes back and makes this movie i mean i'll be i'm really interested to see where he goes like is he gonna make another kind of like mind-bending sci-fi like that's kind of where i want to see him continue i was gonna ask you what do you want to see next i don't know i kind of want to see him do that because i think that it's so but but he's i don't know i think he's obviously so good at this historical drama stuff which is not what you think of you could oddly throw the prestige into that category like prestige dunkirk yeah oppenheimer Versus Inception, Tenet, and I don't know what else. Maybe just those two. Interstellar, I guess, would qualify yeah. for that. I mean, I love. I I always think it's amazing what he can do with time, and how he can manipulate it and show it to us differently. I I I mean, especially when it came to like Dunkirk, and Inception, um, even Memento. It's just so much fun to watch him sort of fuck with it's, it so i hope it's rather he, conventional in this movie i mean it's it not, is nothing we haven't seen before movie. like but what i'm saying is i do enjoy it and i kind of i yeah. i want to see i want to see what, what craziness he can come up with i love that i love when movies like that can come together like tenant i don't think did but for the most part you know all all his sort of mindfuck movies um other than tenant have have worked on some level or not or not <clears throat> Uh, do we want to try to review Barbie? Let's have a quick chat. What What do you think, Jeremy? Uh, it was better than I expected. I mean, uh, the trailer sort of made me feel like, oh, no, this is never going to work. But Greta Gerwig seemed to really lean into the hokiness of realizing she's making a movie about Barbie coming to the real world. And uh, she really leaned into that. And because of that, there was a lot of jokes that I really liked and really delivered. Um, yeah, so I described this as elf with a little bit more to say. Yeah, that's a great uh, way to put it. Um, I thought that it was a, you know, relatively poorly done satire, but well done commentary. 
like it does I brought up show don't tell this movie tells everything doesn't show much um I think the jokes are funny but a lot of them a lot of the funniest ones we've seen in episodes of always sunny in Philadelphia um I think intentionally the Ken's specifically Ryan Gosling are supposed to be kind of like the comedic highlights of the movie and they definitely are I thought he was um, great he's great he's so yeah. funny and I was not in a great frame of mind when I saw this because I'd just been essentially told I can't see Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter IMAX but I mean speaking of trauma that's like one of the most traumatic I mean I would have gone ballistic yeah you would have gone postal Chapin um, but I enjoyed it I thought the movie was fine um I thought it was a little better than fine. I thought it really. I, I, I thought I it was clever. I think it worked. Um, I liked it, its self awareness. It's very self aware. I mean, there's definitely too much, um, yeah, on the nose dialogue. It's too long. It's not it, even two hours, and it's too long. It is too long. It yeah. should be ninety minutes. It definitely feels like it drags sometimes. It, like the, it takes time out to explain to its audience what it's doing or why why things are the way they are. Um, and, and some of the jokes are sort of repeats on repeats about, and they the come world. out and tell you what the movie's about at the end, like three times Yeah, with, yeah. uh, America Ferreira's speech. Um, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, so and look, I think, I think, I think it's funny how like mad conservative commentators are getting like Ben Shapiro's burning Barbie dolls and stuff like that. And I think that's hilarious to me, but I also think like, look, this movie is not subtle comes right out and says things. And maybe it's good that $162 million worth of people saw that. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Can, for can sure. we ask a follow-up question? Uh, as we asked about Nolan, what about Gerwig? So Gerwig is seemingly pivoting to bigger studio films. It looks like she's doing um, redoing the Narnia movies at Netflix. No way. That's that's really interesting. You guys should Especially get since those are very sort of conservative. I mean, the yeah, that's conservative well, they're leaning. Just, they're just like Christian mythology. I wouldn't call that conservative. Uh, they, they try um, to take it, trust me. I don't know that... I don't know that this is... At the end of Gerwig's career, I don't know if this is going to be one of the, like, look at what a great director Greta Gerwig was. Not like... Little I think Wim. it will be. I think it will be. I think it's smart. I think it it's... I'll tell you where it is successful in that she made a pretty enjoyable, well-structured movie out of a Barbie doll. I know. Um, and that's, that's the thing that sort of is shocking and, and is going to give her more credit than it, it. Just the fact that you're, you're looking at it from that perspective, like what can you really do with this? How can you make this at all a, a, a clever insight? Um, into anything She's and she made does a it. fish out of water movie um which... i mean what's interesting but but guys like this will probably be the biggest movie of the year so what i mean so marvel movies are the biggest movie of the year that means nothing but it i think it does mean something from a female filmmaker and specifically I mean, from huge but from um from uh you know Greta Gerwig, someone who's like I wouldn't say is like overtly a commercial filmmaker. I mean, she might be now. I mean, Nolan wasn't a commercial filmmaker until Batman Begins. Yeah, 
I still want to do my experiment where you give like Christopher Nolan only like six yeah, million never dollars happen. and see what he can do. He would do better with it than Scorsese. Scorsese, I feel like, would be like confused, like <laughs> wouldn't know how to yeah. do it. I, I did want to ask you one final question because Jay and it's especially I, I thought of this earlier and then Chapin, you sort of brought it up. Um, collectively, the three of us, who do you think we get most excited for their movies? Is it Nolan? I thought I, I thought the top three were Nolan, Fincher, and Tarantino. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Um, and I think it probably comes down to Nolan or Tarantino. Yeah, collectively. Yeah, so like... Yeah, I don't know. Those three, I think those three are, are for sure... Oh, no, what about PTA? Oh, that's another one, too. Yeah, I would say he's got to be up there, too. Um, it's tough. I, part of me leans towards Tarantino, because, and part of that might be because we know there's an end. <laughs> like, there's a finite number we're supposedly getting. So each one feels so much more important. Yeah, it's tough to tell. It's tough Nolan, to, to measure it. But I think putting a top a top three or four on it is pretty accurate. The top three is probably PTA, Nolan, and Tarantino in some order. And then yeah. Fincher. And Scorsese. Yeah, but I think Chapin's right. I think Scorsese's like falling down the list a little bit. Like, oh, I, I agree. May, I think maybe he he's fifth. Be maybe he's fifth. Yeah, maybe he's fifth now. I mean, right. flowers, uh, Killers of a Flower Moon, it like looks, looks amazing, and it's gotten incredible reviews. So, um, we shall so see. Venice Film Festival is premiering The Killer and Ferrari, and a few other like big and Napoleon, I think. No, well, maybe not. So. Maybe uh, not Napoleon. Priscilla, what else? which I think sounds like an interesting movie. Uh, do we have our tickets? Did we get? Did to Venice, yeah. Oh, I got to call. I got to call them again. It was some sort of language barrier when I was talking to him on the phone. I don't know what that was all about. I didn't speak English. That's what they. I they said that to me too. Okay. All right. Before we get in trouble. All right. That's gonna do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I've been Jeremy Fisk, joined by Lee Carlo, Chapin Hemingway. Um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, guys, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go because I'm kind of disappointed in you guys. But um, I can tell you were mad the whole movie, the whole podcast. Well, we had a moment where it looked like the chain reaction from an atomic device might never stop. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button? We destroy the world. Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice.